Welcome to Two Sober Girls. I'm so excited. I am your host, Erin, with my amazing co-host, Michaela. This is episode 32, lucky number 32, and we are joined with our amazing guest, MD expert, in-house expert, Dr. Erin. Dr. Erin was on episode 26. If you missed it, you, you've got to go back and listen to it. It was incredible. Um, a One of our most top listened episodes, actually, it, which is um, amazing because I think incredible. we need to know what's happening in our body when that substance enters, right? And I, I mean, I took notes during the podcast. I learned so much. So Dr. Aaron is here today to talk about something so important. Um, and, you know, something that we've been wanting to jump on and share about with an expert, um, how to talk to your children about alcohol. Um, what is age appropriate? Um, you know, and we, we're just going to dive into all the things, but um, I'm really excited to just start this conversation and continue because um, this, this, this is a big one. So Dr. Erin, welcome. Thank, Thank you so much for being here. Um, and I guess we'll just let you begin. You know, I guess my first question, and then we'll just take it from here. What age are we, should we, do you recommend that we start talking about alcohol with our children? Sure. So um, I just want to, as a disclosure for your audience, uh, let them know I'm an internist. I am a board certified internal medicine doctor, but I do have a master's degree uh, from Columbia University in developmental psychology and child psychology. And I am a mother of uh, two 13 year old boys. So uh, I have a lot of experience regarding patient exposure and just being a mother myself. So uh, not easy, but we will get through this together. <laughs> as far as an uh, age appropriate time to talk about alcohol, to be honest, as early as you can is the flat out answer. So um, starting the conversation as early as you can. For moms who have babies, and are able to attain sobriety, or I would say children under three, they probably will not remember. That's the good. However, for the majority where the children are above the age of three, there may be some memories regarding the alcoholism and they may come the most inopportune times. So uh, five years may pass before they ever really bring it up. However, if your children are older and I would say, uh, five is a little nebulous, but definitely six, they will remember and retain memories of alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And we've gone over alcoholism. You've got this, your whole podcast is dedicated to it, which is a great service, but uh, you know, alcohol dependence, frequent alcohol use in the home. Um, these are, you know, we have children legally uh, until they're 18 years old. We're responsible for them. Obviously we have them our whole life. We are responsible for them. But, um, you know, a lot of children's behaviors are learned. You can tell them only so much. They have learned behaviors from what they see in the home. And we're going to get into that. Um, but talking to your children is important. And we're going to go over how. So uh, as early as you can, like I said, un unless they're under the age of three, if you're able to attain sobriety, your children are under three, I, I urge you please to do so because they will not have those memories and they are not good memories for anybody. Um, but how to begin the conversation would be honesty. Children like honesty, whether they be 
children, tweens, teenagers, being honest. And that's very hard because uh, it's often hard to be honest with ourselves. But for children, that will go a long way. So regardless of what they say to us, my, my children, you know, I was studying with them the other day. They told me they couldn't stand me. But I know they don't mean that. They love me. Mm-hmm. And you take sometimes what comes out of their mouth is not what's in their heart. But honesty goes a long way. It builds trust. And, and they know they can believe in you. Um, the way I would do it, and I've told patients this, uh, clients, is that everyone has their own relationship with their children, so I can't speak specifically, but generally, the way to explain addiction, it is an illness. Some people argue about this. Um, I've heard people in programs tell me that it's not an illness, that the big book for AA is third grade reading material, whether that or not is irrelevant. There are, it's a board certified specialty in medicine. It's in the DSM criteria as a disease. So often I find sometimes when you, you speak to addicts, they'll say, oh, it's like cancer. Well, it is, but cancer patients don't drink cancer cells. I think a better way to describe it is it's like diabetes. In diabetes, you can't really have sugar. So can you? Well, you can, but you shouldn't. Right. Same with you cannot have alcohol. You could because you may break and go out and drink, but you really shouldn't because your response to it is very extreme and you're very fragile and more susceptible to it when you have it. So I would compare it to diabetes. It doesn't go away. It's very much there. It can get better or worse over time, but it is a treatable condition. Now, for your listeners, what I would also say is you have to realize that when you're speaking to children, even adult children, actions speak louder than words. So when you're saying to your child, well, I'm not going to drink, I know when mommy drinks or when daddy drinks, this is what happens. You have to prove to them that what you're saying is true. So you have to show that you have some degree of power over it. And only time will tell. And All children are different, but it can take years to build that trust back, depending how long this has been going on in the household. And again, this may not be the parents. It could be an aunt, an uncle, some Mm -hmm. friend of yours where you may frequently choose to have parties, but this is something to be aware of. Um, So much there. You know, I just wanted to interject because so much you said, Dr. Erin. Actions speak louder than words. And I think what is so vital is to have that open, honest dialogue to be humble as a parent. And, you know, what, you know, for me, I can speak only about my experience with my children. I explained to them that I'm allergic to it. Like my son has a nut allergy. He cannot consume nuts. I cannot consume alcohol. This is how we started that conversation. But now they're aware of it and they will they will see other adults partaking and they'll make comments about it, not in a judgmental way because they're children. They're just really quite curious. And they'll say, well, they kind of acted silly or they had a lot to drink. And I think that's another part of our conversation is like once we open this dialogue, it's we respect our elders, but eyes wide open. And for the adults, we need to live in integrity. If we're going to talk to our children about the dangers of alcohol and, you know, how we want to help them navigate. We have to model it first and help them also with those uncomfortable situations where they're, they're going to be around drunk adults, drunk youth, and yeah. 
to handle that. Right. It's that emotional intelligence. And I think it's one of those things that it's not just one conversation. It's just like this podcast, right? It's not just one conversation and that's it. It's going to be multiple different types of conversations. So Aaron, you began with saying you're allergic to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's one part of it. Then there's other parts of our last podcast episode that we had with Dr. Aaron of what it actually does to the body, then hopefully we'll have that talk about what it does to our mind and mm-hmm. that psych, you know, the psychology of addiction. Um, so, and, and of course, giving it in terms that they can understand and they can digest and without judgment, right? Because they're going to be exposed to it no okay. matter what. Mm-hmm. And for me, we don't really like, I don't drink. Right. So it's not like one of those things that like, we have an active conversation around. Um, if I did, like, I probably, there would be some shame, I would say that would come with it. You know, perhaps if I did drink and I had bad moments, I would probably, you know, it just would not be the most comfortable conversation. So I get that. So can you speak on that for parents who do drink or parents who don't drink? Like, what are those conversations? Um, what, what can those look like? So um, uh, just tying into the first question and this, I, I just want to comment that when you explain alcoholism to a child, it's, uh, I just want to go back to the age issue and how to approach mm-hmm. them and exactly no them but at any age there are four things children have to be aware of and that's for any child up until the age of 18 really up until the age of 30 but the main thing about alcoholism and children is that they know that they didn't cause it Mm. uh, that they know that they cannot cure it they cannot help mommy they cannot help daddy Um, only only that person can help themselves they can't control it They have no control over it. Now you can imagine how a child would feel in any of these circumstances, Mm. but um, the only way that they can care for themselves is by communicating their feelings, making healthy choices and celebrating themselves that they were able to sort of weather through this. A short-term consequence is that uh, of alcoholism, alcoholic parents is that children can become outer directed and lose their sense of self because they don't have stability in the home. Uh, They may be embarrassed to bring friends home. They come home, mommy or daddy are drunk. Uh, Mommy and daddy can't bring them to a friend's house, but they definitely will not want to expose their kids are easily embarrassed. They're embarrassed of us anyway, but then compound it with Mm. them a reason to talk, the the friends and the parents of the friends. And um, what children will often do is they'll develop lives outside the home without much parental involvement. I'm going to go over four parenting styles, but parents are found to be unreliable. That doesn't mean long-term it will stay that way. Remember, I want your listeners to understand nothing is written in stone here. We have almost two decades to impact these children's lives in a positive way. And if your listeners have adult children, again, time will heal. Children do want to love us. Um, no matter what, even if you do the most nefarious of things, they they want to love us and they want to be loved back and they want that acceptance. So time time is the measure. And if you're able to get sober today and stay sober, um, you will find open arms waiting for you. Um, Now, in long term, grown children for families with alcoholism can struggle with relationships uh, because they have that fragility with the parents. That's really their first relationship. 
So they lose sort of their inner self and they find that they can't fix because they can't fix the parents or fix the loved one. They have a problem in relationships later. But at the base of all of these families and alcoholic homes is the sense of shame. So the child will often feel that they themselves are defective because they come from a place of shame. And it's hard to hear, and I'm sorry, but these are proven psychological factors. Now, if we were to break it down into age brackets, uh, which you initially asked me. So for children under 10, the important thing about uh, talking to them about alcoholism is to speak in a way that emphasizes safety and gives the child the opportunity to share their feelings and fears. It's a very open-ended conversation. Um, so for children that are older than 10, but not yet teens, explaining alcoholism, you have to be careful. I can tell you now as 13 year olds, you don't want to lecture them about substance abuse. Uh, you want to just say, what I would say is I'm an alcoholic. Like I said before, like you have diabetes, I cannot have alcohol. I cannot have self-control and you may find yourself in life at some point with this. And I wanna to talk to you about how you feel about it. Direct honesty is the key. And just being factual, say, do you remember you came home and mommy was passed out on the couch or daddy was passed out or daddy couldn't drive you because he was drunk? That's important. Um, uh, you need to remember that children under 10, they still live in sort of a me-centered world and they're very likely to blame themselves or believe they did something oh. to addiction and that is a truth so right. what you have to do is reassure them that they didn't cause the addiction and there's nothing they could do to prevent it uh prevent a parent from drinking or breaking their sobriety or using drugs just reassure them that their parents love them but they have a disease and need help and then prove it day by day again this may take years but it is not irreparable it can be repaired so just keep reminding them that you love them and you're here to support them mm. but children are older, like a, a tween, that's what I have now, um, you want to make sure that they have all the facts. So uh, you can speak to them directly about alcohol dependence. Uh, but at this age, it's sort of tempting for them to piece together what they do not know and come up with their own explanation. You really need to prevent that from happening because they don't have the life experience to come up with really rational uh, reasons why a parent would drink. And again, children internalize these things. They'll inherently blame themselves. So um, just make sure all your questions are answered openly and honestly. Um, Tell them they can come to you anytime when they're upset or confused and need some answers. And remember, they they may, I don't want to say throw it in your face, but I know my son, I was studying with him the other day, he was frustrated and he brought up something where my husband and I had, had an argument five years ago. I don't even remember what he's talking about, but this is something he was clearly holding on to, or maybe it just burst into his memory at the moment. And I had to sort of take a pause and sort of address it at that moment. But, you know, I could have gotten excited and gone back, you know, we could have sparred a little, but I wouldn't have gotten anywhere. So anyway, then beyond tweens, of course, there's older teens and with them, honesty is essential. They do not like to be talked down to. They don't like lectures. Um, and you have to realize that with teens, they're resentful. I mean, not all ours. I'm sure some are very sunny, but I have boys and they tend <laughs> So uh, the one thing to consider about them is they can be very resentful and they'll certainly be resentful of the parent with the addiction. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, especially if it's required them to miss time with their friends, miss out on sports because the parent can't take them, forgot to pick them up. If they are the ones now parenting the younger siblings or if they're found to have to do extra chores around the house, they will resent. They just want to be a child. And in addiction, unfortunately, you can rob a child of their childhood. Yeah. So there's a term that's thrown around a lot, uh, parentification, but I, I won't get into that here. But, you know, uh, if they're the ones who have to get their younger siblings on the school bus, you could see where there would be some uh, resentment. But be sensitive to how the addiction has impacted them and just listen. Mm. Um, wow. So a few things here. So at, at 13, you said have all the facts and give them the facts. Can you just run down some facts to give them? Um, that will, you know, make them understand yeah. the impact. Uh, 13, I'm just thinking of my own 13 year olds. I mean, boys, I please everyone, your listeners, I just find boys are not as evolved at that age as girls, but depending on the maturity of your child. So yeah, definitely. I, I would just say United States facts, uh, 13 is the average age of first time drug and alcohol use, sadly. Yeah. Uh, that was me. Oh, and both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nine out of 10 addictions start in the teen years. So wow. for people to go on and later become an addict, it often starts in those teen years. And remember, there are only five of those teen years. So that is a strong predictor of later addiction. Wow. And whether the parent be an alcoholic, the child may later go on to use hardcore drugs, porn addiction, it, it's all comers for addiction, gambling. And uh, you remember there's no national program in the schools uh, to teach them about drug and alcohol abuse. They certainly do touch on it, but there's no set curriculum uh, like there is now regarding sex education or anything like that. So that would likely have to come from the home. Just keep in mind that kids' brains do not reach full maturity until they're in their mid twenties. So we still have an impact. And remember, just think of when you go to a museum or wherever you go, the mall, what you say and what you see are two totally different things. There's a lot more visual uh, cues open to you than what people are telling you, whether you're shopping or looking in a museum, looking at the art, looking at photographs, because what children are seeing is really, no matter what you're saying, is the truth to them, as it is with all of us. So um, 20% of teens, oh, this is an interesting fact actually, and I'm reading this one right now. This is United States. So 20% of teens, this study was just done, feel that parents should have a say in the music they listen to. So they feel that only 20% of us should relay that to them. 25% think that we should have an opinion about what they wear. This was a multi, city, multi-state uh, study. However, 80% of them feel that parents should have a say in whether they drink alcohol. That's very mm -hmm. interesting. I get it. I okay, that's a really good topic because a lot of time parents are like, oh yes, you can try it if you're going to drink it in the, if you're going to drink, you might as well drink it in the house so you're safe. What are your you thoughts about that? Bullshit. Let me just, I'm sorry, <laughs> I just cursed and I can't take it anymore. I have to let it out. Yes, let's pour poison down your developing bodies and brains because, but we're here. So and it's, say it's okay to do it at home. Holy crap. And of course in the air, and that's just hit, like that hit my soul because they're looking for someone to tell them, don't do it. Mm. Why can't we just tell our kids, guess what? 
these are the consequences. This is what's going to happen. This is what this actually is. This is yes. what's going to do to you on an emotional, physical, psychological level. Here are all the facts. And as your parent, yeah, I don't want you to do that because I love you. I love everything about you. And I don't want anything to be harmed with that poison. Why can't we say that? This I, I think a big part of it though, is building yeah. your kid's self-esteem so that yes. when they are out at a friend's house, whose mom is offering alcohol and saying, it's okay to do that here for them to be able to say no, and this no. is not for me. And do you know actually what it does for them to be so well-informed yeah. in and out, like knowing everything yeah. about it, that they, they will just say no. Like, how do we, you how know, get- Yeah. I'm there now as an adult at 44, like the thought of alcohol to me when I'm this high on life, yeah. would be like, it's like, it's ridiculous. It's like someone asking me, to, I don't even know what they're asking. Like, I, it just, it's laughable by the grace of God one day at a time. It's laughable because I'm in love with life and my health and mentally, physically, spiritually, I've never been in a better space. I want that for my children. So that's such a great question. It's like, how do we then teach them, show them, empower them to be so happy, secure within that the the idea of poison being necessary for social interactions, which what is that? That's you're, you're not actually socializing. If and you're you not are, teaching uh, them how to do it properly either, you know, yeah, and then they go work. off into the world and, you know, for work, yeah. they, they drink and, and all the things that, you know, they party, they drink. And if you think about it, you're human beings. We are built for each other. We're built for deep relationships. When you put that poison and you're numbing, you can't get there. So that yeah. you're always going to be hungry. There, there's a void. And so we're teaching our kids, oh, you go party and socialize and be with your friends. You're not with your friends. You're not even with yourself at that point. So like, I think Erin, that is wild to me that 80% want us, they want us to, okay. So anyone listening, your children want you to weigh in. What are you going to say? And I think it starts with first looking at your own relationship to alcohol and saying, well, wh- why do I drink? And, and listen, I know many people who are normies, as we call them in the rooms, they can have one or two glasses of wine and like, you know, but I still think it's important to say, but why do I drink? What are the benefits? And how is this being like, you know, how is this looking to my children? And how do I communicate that to my children? Not that I'm like, I just, I think we need to own our own relationship first Mm -hmm. in order to lead and guide this next generation, but really maybe take a step back and be like, yeah, but, but, but really why? But like, it's like smoking cigarettes, but really why? Because they're addictive. Sure. Because everyone's doing them. Sure. Because they were marketed in a way that it's cool, sophisticated, sexy, brainwashed. Sure. But and that's another conversation you can have with them, yeah. that it's the marketing. It's how it's, totally. you know, how we're meant to view it, but it's actually not the truth. It it's is not, not the, the truth. truth. Yeah. And we have Dr. To hear, like, so Dr. Aaron. Yes. I, would you, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just like, I just can't take it. I'm like, I, I just can't take it anymore. Would do you with your sons, like share, um, what alcohol does to their developing brains to their developing bodies in a way that's age appropriate and not like horrifying or scary. Like, is there a way to do that? Or have you done that? Sure. I mean, the the thing with kids, uh, especially teenagers, well, little ones too, I suppose, but they definitely, and you guys hit it. uh, 
they test boundaries. They want to see how far they can go with you, whether it be stay up late using their mm-hmm. phone, time, blah, blah, blah. So permissive attitudes about alcohol can contribute to alcohol use. Mm-hmm. If the parent is emotionally unavailable because they themselves are, are in the mire of addiction, um, all bets are off for the child. They don't yeah. have to barrier. Now, if your spouse is an addict or your spouse is not an addict, let's say one of you is and one of you is not, you can't be two people. You can't be the mother and the father. You could be the greatest mother in the world. But I just know with my sons now, I have a very good relationship with them. It's very open and honest, but they do gravitate toward my husband now just yeah. because life you know they're they'll always need me but at this point in their life they're interested in more male type of things it's tricky because um my sons play hockey Aaron I know yours do also but that's a I suppose all sports are like this but I've often pulled into the parking lot at seven eight in the morning at the hockey rink and parents respected parents are there drinking away at seven eight in the morning and my Son will say to me why are they doing that and I said uh that's their way I guess of relaxing starting the day and but, but why are they going to drive their son home? Like, are they going to drive, you know, um, John home? And I'm say, well, I hope they don't because it's illegal. But, um, you know, I have, to, you know, I, I have to gear it back to just, uh, I would never do that. And I think that's a really bad vision. I, I wouldn't do that. And if, if John's in trouble, we'll take him home. I'll check in with the father and make sure. For the parents that give, I, you know, I'm assuming most of your listeners are Americans because there's a big difference in uh, American behavior versus European behavior, uh, which tends to be more familiar, more cultural when it comes to drinking underage. In American, yes. it's more of like a rager and what can I get away with and whatnot like that. I certainly would not condone giving alcohol to a minor, even if it's a sip. Uh, I, you know, again, kids are testing boundaries. They want to see what they can get away with. A sip can become something more. I'm not saying punish them for a week if they do it, hmm. but I, I say, what, what, what made you do that? And actually, this is one time where addiction may be advantageous for the addicted parent, because you can immediately come back to them and say, I have addiction. Addiction can be genetic. Addiction can also be learned. So you have a Emmy, you may have the genetics and you may have the behavior I unfortunately taught you. I just want you to be aware that that sip can become something worse. And then look how what happened to my life. I missed weeks, months, years of normality. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. I missed your school play. I, I didn't help you with your homework. Mm-hmm. And I have to live with that for the rest of my life. That's honest. Mm-hmm. But you have that power to convey to them. It threw me off the trajectory of my life. It made me lack my luster. I wasn't the woman or man I wanted to be. You have a chance to change that. You can change the course of your life and be even better than I could hope to be. Love that. Love that. So many things in there. Um, One of the things you said earlier was to be emotionally available to your kids. And I think that would lessen the desire for them to want to reach for alcohol because that is that I think that was my case. I mean, you never really know what triggered certain actions at, at those ages. I'm, I'm certain it was trauma. It was, you know, not having that emotional stability um, at home. That was a big part of it. And like you said, 
I ended up forming a whole different life outside of my home. You know, that was with friends, that was connection, that was a way to express myself, that was a way to have fun. And so like living these two different lives. Um, and I did start at 13. I smoked weed at 13. I used to get black out drunk at like 14. I remember it was a group of girlfriends. We're still friends in our friend and our friendship is not based on alcohol, but we like, I was the one that I couldn't stop. And her mom came home once and I, they had to get me into the bathtub, cold water. Like I, I had alcohol poisoning. We never told my mom. We never told my mom. So it wasn't until probably years after that my mom realized that I was drinking. And at that point it was just, we would have parties all the time and it was normal. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a, I was born in the seventies. I'm a product of the late eighties. I can tell you now that uh, we used to have those little squirt hairspray bottles like you buy in the Walmart. Somebody would boil them, fill them with like five different types of alcohol. We'd go to the mall and squirt it into our mouths. I mean, the <gasps> thing, but this is what we did. And we thought this was the best, you know, because we were testing boundaries, doing things and we didn't get ossified. I understand that you blacked out. Thankfully, nothing happened to you. Uh, that's an even trickier conversation, actually, now that you brought it up, Michaela, because now you've got to wonder, because I wonder sometimes with teen boys, you know, I'm, I'm trying to raise men in the next couple of years. So I have boys right now, but I'm trying to figure out how do you educate them regarding parties in college, parties in high school, the effects of drinking on women or men and uh, sexual intercourse and yeah. what is sent because everyone's memory is affected. In our last podcast, we talked about chronic alcohol use and how it affects the brain. I think in the next podcast, we're going to talk about acute a little bit, but certainly one of those things that's affected is the frontal lobe. And that's your judgment and ability, your personality. So um, consent is tricky with alcohol use and just saying to a child, you know, if you're sober, you can make a solid judgment about um, whether or not this potential partner, we'll talk about sex at a later date, but um, it has the ability to give consent um, regarding uh, that. But there, there's so much to talk that about. That is a here. huge factor. That's huge. huge. Okay. Well, and I think too, I just wrote this down. Both people have to be sober. I think we also need to plant that into our children's yes. souls. Even and the, if you're sober, your partner's not, it's, you, no, it's not, you know, sex. Because again, you, those are, the, those are the multiple conversations that yes. need to be had. Yeah. Both parties. Absolutely. But, but the thing about that, Erin, is um, you, it, we can't speak in extremes. You have to have cold, hard sobriety or blackout drunk. There no. is an no. and Yeah. Sort of needs to be taught to them. Absolutely. I just I, remember in situations I was offered cocaine. I remember people offered me marijuana. Believe it or not, I've never tried marijuana. And that was only because, and I don't know where this came from. Perhaps it was my parents. I do have a dry family tree. Uh, but they, people offered it to me and I said, I don't want to try it. And they said, why? I said, because what if I like it? Then that's all I'm going to do all the time. No. And I'm like, I don't, do. and I don't know why that happened, but it just was. And I look back on it now and I'm like, wow, I can't believe that I had the wherewithal to say that at the time. But I remember being like 15 with older boys at like 18 offering us stuff for, you know, obvious reasons. 
But, um, you know, you just have to make sure a, a child who is insecure, a child who mm-hmm. feels have no base will not be able to say something like that. A child has to feel power to stand up to somebody else, whether they be younger, older, or the same age. So um, I agree. Just, yeah. We're going to get into peer pressure and we're going to get into if they're offered alcohol at a party. But I remember someone told me a good saying once. They said to me, um, and I say this to my sons all the time, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Amen. Oh, yes. of kids that are drinking, parents. I, I, I have a child right now. Both his par- parents are high power attorneys in New York City. The child is alone he's 13 from 3 p.m. till 8 p.m. every single night in the house on his own to do homework. So it doesn't matter what your parents do. You could be a stay at home homemaker, but at least you're with the child, hopefully sober, loving and supporting them. But you have a situation and the child is right now running awry because he has no one parenting him. It's unfortunate, but again, it's, it's not my child, but, um, you know, you, you see some of these kids and you can just see where they may be the ones to test the boundaries. And you you don't want to control your kids who they're friends with. You may say, you know, can you pick this one up so we can play in the park together? I can't. I can just drop you off and kind of steer them away from certain relationships. You might consider risky. If you have an alcoholic, do not bring your child to the house. Remember, when alcohol is readily available to kids, I mean, and this is just legal speaking, um, alcohol in the home, parents allowing underage kids to drink, even if it's for, let's say they have a 21 year old, but there's a 16 year old present, you are contributing to the delinquency of a minor and you will be charged. Just the fact they have access to it. So Mm -hmm. house alcohol is locked up. I do have a new year's party where all the kids come over and stay over. I'm fully aware that if they had access to that, I could face jail time. Wow. People bring alcohol to my house. If there's a reason there's a party, I just say, bring what you want, but then pack it up and bring it right back to your house. Oh, why do you not keep alcohol in the house? I said, I have teenagers. I just don't need the risk. It's not my kids I'm worried about. It's the other kids. Yeah. So smart. You know, I didn't really ever think about that. That's really smart. Just like not to have it out readily available as it is in most homes, because most homes have like a stocked bar. Like that's just, yeah. It's incredible advice. And I love it. Have it locked up. And if you bring it, if you're hosting, bring it back with you. But I think, and I know something that you touched upon and I I really, I mean, so much, and I know I want to jump into peer pressure and what to do with, you know, at a party, I have these conversations with my children because, because, you know, you know, I tell them all the time, if when you're of age, how to drink respectfully you know, what I see my friends who have a, a healthy relationship with alcohol is that they have a glass of wine or drink and they drink it slowly. They have water. Maybe they'll have another one. I'm like, if that's the path, you know, so I try to not say, oh, you can never drink because they're going to make their own decisions. But I say, you know, I admire how that person really calmly enjoys what they're drinking and maybe has one, maybe not even have another one, but that's how, you know, a sophisticated relationship versus, you know, just consumption, consumption, compulsion. Um, because I do think if you tell your children, no, they're like, okay, yeah, watch me. <laughs> like, here I go, lady. Like, I'm not talking, you know. So I think, you know, 
I think it's so important to have just an open conversation and allow them to share because they don't really know their children and they are, they want to push boundaries. They want to rile you up. They, and it's a whole new world that they're stepping foot into. So I think that was really an important part. Um, I would love to talk about peer pressure, you know, and what you recommend and, you know, I guess just allow what's the first step when we're all going to experience this with our children. Sure. Um, just to reiterate something you said, though, to your listeners, because I think it is really important and salient that the point be taken home. Alcoholism, addiction of any kind is not handy in certain situations, but in talking to your kids, it is because you can tell them everyone gets a deck of cards in life. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's nobody's is perfect. Some people carry illness. Some people carry cancer genes. You carry addiction genes or addiction in your family. And it's first generation. You, that is a bad card to be dealt, but you can't take it out. You just have to be more aware of it. And one other thing I just want to say before I forget is you may want to put a boundary on the child of when it's appropriate to discuss with their friends that the mother or the father is an alcoholic because there's so much shame involved with that. And mm-hmm. sometimes for a relationship or to a friend's house, when they're young, they don't know. And they just say, oh, mommy passed out again or daddy passed out and mommy and daddy are fighting. And, and you know, there are every family has secrets. Yeah. What you can say to them is um, I'm an addict while that is something I'm always ready to talk to you about, I don't know that everybody would understand. It's not a secret, but it's a family discussion for now. I would like if you would not do that. However, if you feel the need to discuss it, and if I'm not answering your questions, come to me or I'll find someone else you can talk to. And sometimes kids do need therapists, so I don't want to not mention that. Mm. But not every child does. And some, in some cases, it can even make it worse, often better, but you never know. But um, you, you just want to address that also, because you don't want your teenager walking around saying, my mom's an alcoholic, I can't listen to her, because that's not really helpful to you either. It'll take you out no. in your, so um, just keep that in mind. Okay. So peer, uh, parents, no matter who you are, you could be the greatest father, the greatest mother, the greatest auntie, it doesn't matter. Children in their teen years will not listen to you. It is an American culture phenomenon. Peer pressure is number one, statistically by far proven in multiple studies. <laughs> not things, not parents. It is the friends. So it's, um, you know, where they grow up, where they are. I have always found it an American phenomenon where you're in your 20s. And I've experienced this. You're driving. And I mean, I was in medical residency, so I could never drink because I had to go to work the next day at five in the morning. You'd be out with your friends trying to be social. You're not drinking. What do you mean you're not drinking? Ah, Europeans don't act like this. You would swear that you like poked out one of your eyes that you're not drinking. So, you know, they almost like make they'll even order you drinks when you're not drinking to make you drink true oh my gosh that's true you know you just have to have some measure to yourself to say no that's an adult but a child mm, it could be very tricky if somebody's okay with it they could just say ah man I had some alcohol uh, some addicts in my family and I just don't want to deal with it I have to be mindful I just have to be aware of it you could say um well, when they're old enough, 16, they could just say they're driving. 
you know, that's always handling. It's always they just say no, thank you. It should be dropped at that. They can change the topic. They could suggest it. I'm allergic to it. (laughs) Which, you know, isn't unusual. If anyone, any of your listeners are Asian, they actually lack an enzyme. Many, many people that they cannot process uh, alcohol dehydrogenase, that they actually can't process alcohol properly. But if you're not, I mean, you could always say, yes, I'm allergic to it. You can leave. Never be punitive. You can have Call friends with you that are that are non-drinkers. You hope that will support you. You can. Uh, you're at a rager party. Uh, you could start. You know, playing soccer, doing something, playing video games. Call a different friend and just be engaged in a FaceTime with them to avoid the situation. I mean, I've never been to a party where someone wrestled someone to the bar to have an actual physical drink, but they'll give you a hard time. Yeah. But so long as the child knows and is aware of the ramifications of it, it's the best you can do. Mm-hmm. What I say is, should they drink? What, one thing you should definitely say to a child, and I've said it to my kids, find yourself in a dangerous situation, an uncomfortable situation. I don't care if it's three in the morning, you call me, I will get you no questions asked. Addict parents have to be very sensitive to uh, damage that there's no addict parent that has not damaged in some way a child. Unfortunately, it's true, but it has to be said. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, I, I told you on the last podcast, someone had said to me, there are things you don't remember that they will never forget. You don't know what a child remembers. They, they, they will never want to hurt your feelings or really tell you the, the full on impact. And you may not know till later in life when they're married or what they're doing in life. And I've seen plenty of people that did not become alcoholics in their teens or 20s, but became alcohols in their 40s and 50s, especially with COVID. So uh, it's just important to remember that. And when you are dealing with a child who, you know, unfortunately got drunk or drugged or did something, it's so important to come from a place of empathy. And again, this is where addiction can be helpful. And, and it's not often, but, you know, you come from a place of knowing and remorse, you know, where it can escalate to, and you need to tap into your own knowledge to relay that to the child but punishing them i'm not saying if they go out and get loaded and do something heinous like you know take your car punish them yes but um you know you you have to just really be sensitive to what they're coming from and say oh well, i'm not listening to my mom or dad because they acted like a fool the whole time i was in my teenage years own it yeah i did i did act like that. you're absolutely right but you know i i don't do that now and if i could go back and back I would but I can't you're right um it that you know that's a place of honesty and you're not judging them then just say I I need this to not happen again for all of these different reasons you know should this happen just let me come and get you there's so many other ways to spend your time than this I love that and again it's building that connection with you and the child knowing that they can depend on you and you have their best wishes for them as well you know and if they're looking for a form of having fun explore with them what other things they can be doing like make a list we do that in our sober girls mastermind is like you know a lot of times we're missing that fun which we think it's fun right but it's like having again that conversation like is it really fun you know what's happening in that situation um but something i want to ask about is the fact that our brain does not stop developing until the age of 25 or so. What are the short-term and long-term effects of our brain? Um, Because I'll be honest, I I know 
the reason why I'm so into health and wellness is trying to restore a lot of the damage that I've done. And I can feel getting better and better Mm. as I age, because I am taking supplements, because I am focusing uh, sleep and healthy relationships and fitness and nutrition and all of those factors. So I feel like I'm filling in those gaps that I never did. Um, but yeah, I just want you to touch on that. What does it actually do to the brain at a young age? And somewhere I heard that our brain, some parts of our brain can be, um, I wouldn't say redeveloped, but can be restored. Like, is that true? I know the liver can, right? How do, how do the organs um, work? <laughs> sure. Liver is regenerative. Part of it can go and you can get it back, but other organs are not. The brain, unfortunately, is one of them. That's why when someone has a stroke, they often do not come back from the stroke despite their best efforts. Um, you may know that people have a stroke, they're given a, a medication called a lytic and a couple of hours later, they're fine. That's different. That's a medication that stopped it in progress. However, remember, we don't use most. So on a hopeful note, there's a lot of our brain we don't tap into. So there's a lot of unused mass up there. It's just how humans developed. So doing anything, exercising, reading, um, doing mind thinking, mind motivating activities, yoga, meditation, that is only a good thing. There's no negative to that. No one really knows how much later in life um, with the development that uh, untapped areas of the brain, we're seeing it now with children with TikTok, different areas of the brain are being affected because the brain didn't develop for the way developed in evolution is not for that constant inundation of electronics. So we're seeing shifts in MRIs on children's brains and different things like that. Um, to answer your question, Michaela, it's it's a very long topic, to be honest with you. <laughs> but um, acutely for, for kids, um, we, we, we talked on the last podcast about chronic alcohol use and how it affects you and how the brain actually in volume actually shrinks uh, over time with chronic alcohol use and how you really become haywired with your receptors. And I'm going to defer that part of the conversation to the last podcast because it was about an hour. And it's important. I, I actually encourage your listeners to listen to that because you will understand why you have such a problem in sobriety once you understand that. Yeah. But it's my fault. It is your fault, but physiologically there's a problem there that needs to be addressed. And as long as, you know, power is knowledge. So let me, you know, you could do better, but acutely with alcohol, especially in teenagers, things that they do, um, like uh, you have your frontal lobe where your forehead is, and that's your, uh, emotional control center. It's the ability to make decisions. Children that drink, I say children, and let me just clarify, I'm talking about under 18. So mm-hmm. some people think I meet six, no, uh, under 18. Sexually impulsive behavior occurs. Uh, 40% when teenagers are drunk do not use condoms or uh, birth control. So you're looking at higher rate of pregnancy, higher rate of abortion. You're looking most importantly and uh, never mind HIV, we're seeing a comeback of syphilis. Uh, genital herpes will never go away. Um, just uh, HPV, now people are vaccinated, but still we're seeing a huge rise in the medical field of people with oral cancer. I, I just saw a guy last week, he's 40 years old who had stage four um, really throat cancer because of oral sex. 
exposed to HPV, um, men, women are getting it in the mouth and the throat. And, you know, all of a sudden you cough up a little blood or you're having trouble swallowing or you're diagnosed with stage three and four uh, HPV in your mouth. It has a very high cure rate, high treat rate, but not something you want. You wound up with a feeding tube. Um, you know, your, your temporal lobe is where your temples are and that causes slurred speech and impaired sensation. Uh, your hippocampus is affected, that's, that's your memory. So your long-term memory, uh, we could talk about date rape on campus and date rape in general, but people can't remember uh, what happened to them or what they did. So that is a huge problem. Then uh, your parietal lobe, which is at the top of your head, that causes slow reaction time. So people that fight, you're getting into a fight at a party or something like that, you will have slower reaction time. You're more likely to be injured. You're more likely a way to step away from the problem. Um, I mean, we could talk about this for hours, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. Yeah. So it greatly impacts your brain and, and basically um, your life, everything. Yeah. Your brain it in a bucket of water. So in this case, a bucket of alcohol, it, it certainly affects every single lobe in every single way and not in a good way. So there's oh. zero, let's just, you know, just to clarify, there's zero uh -huh. benefits of drinking alcohol. Like that list is so hellacious and I'm yeah. sorry like I, I'm, I will share that with my children when it's age appropriate what there's zero I mean that's I, like that whole list I want nothing to do with that I don't want that to touch me or my kids like this is and we just don't talk about this in our culture like we I just, mean this should be taught in school like there should be because it is such a wide you know, it's, it's everywhere, right? Like, why isn't, why is it available? <laughs> like, I don't get it. And how about the fact that when we do damage to the brain, that's what alcohol does. Um, it increases anxiety and depression in young children. And we're seeing this. We have a huge problem with teen suicide, huge, do with have you? Yes. huge, huge oh, problem. Yeah. And let's connect the dots. You were pumping in a toxin into their developing bodies and brains, and then they're anxious and depressed. It just does not make any sense of why we don't have these conversations all the time and just take away the poison and put in what they're created for and start empowering them to make choices that they will actually feel happy and, and whole and balanced. Like these, their bodies are balanced. And also I'm seeing too, just children, children who are not motivated. They're, they have their whole lives ahead of them, but there's a lack of motivation, a lack of excitement because they're not, their body is not full of life. You know, it's, it's dying from the inside. So this, I mean, that just that one section, if that, if that doesn't want to make you want to at least empower and equip your children so they can make better choices. I, I don't know what would, I mean, that's, that's like horrifying. There's something important you you said, uh, alcohol and suicide, drug addiction and suicide. Um, alcohol is involved in 25% of all suicides in the United States. Oh. Kids who use alcohol have higher rates of attempted and completed suicide compared to their sober um, partner, uh, colleagues. Yeah. And um, with alcohol, just keep in mind, especially if you have sons, I'm aware of this, 80% of the victims and 20% are women. That's changing with social media, but those are, I just looked it up before I came on. Those are current statistics. Mm. Um, 
And people who misuse drugs and alcohol have a 40 time greater, so that's a huge number, 40 time greater suicide risk than those who do not. Again, sexual promiscuity, rape, um, these are all current issues. Uh, then there, just, you know, I just want to say that you have a child and it's amazing. I have a cousin who's very outgoing. He was the president of his fraternity. His wife's equally outgoing and they have the shyest girl imaginable. I don't know how that happened, mm. but extremely shy. And I find with women or girls and certainly some men, boys, but uh, alcohol can allay their anxiety, their social anxiety, which is a big reason why girls drink. And for some of your listeners, they may say, oh yeah, I started drinking in when I was a teenager, because I, I didn't feel good about myself, I had low self-esteem, but all of a sudden I felt wonderful. Yeah. So we talked about this on the last podcast, but that really had to do with two neurotransmitters, which was dopamine and uh, GABA. We talked about that. But, um, you know, dopamine sort of is your pleasure center of the brain. Uh, dopamine drives pleasure to your body, and it's sort of a feel-good chemical. Uh, but the rush only lasts for so long. It's just a couple of hours. Then dopamine levels drop back down. And guess what happens? Your anxiety becomes two, threefold. So in the long term, it actually becomes much worse. But that's why some people, there's this term in the literature called hangxiety, like hangover anxiety, hangxiety. Um, people who are shy, uh, they have a, unfortunately, if you do have a shy child, they have a higher risk of developing an alcohol use disorder. Mm. You can't change a shy child because in doing so, you try to, you know, put them in sports, absolutely, group activity, yeah. uh, make sure they have friends, that they're not isolated. But you're not going to find, you know, often a motivational speaker out of someone who's extremely shy. Um, as far as what we talked about earlier, GABA, which is gamma amino butyric acid, um, that causes sort of a Zen feeling. That's the relaxation, the calmness. If you have a child who's coming from a chaotic home, fighting with the parents constantly. This is an escape. It's for kids and adults. Um, it's also that GABA, when you stop drinking, that's what causes you to get the shakes. That's what causes you to have the withdrawal symptoms. It's that neurotransmitter. Um, take it away and anxiety follows. People who are anxious don't sleep, add that to the mix, and you have a re real problem of depression and anxiety, which is, you know, thankfully this these days we're more aware of it, but um, you know, as an addict parents, I would urge your listeners to just, you're going to have to own it and try to make some kind of reparation with your child. But remember, it's never too late, no matter what their age is, there is always, always hope. Um, even if they say there isn't, just be a model, whether you drink for two months, 30 years, I don't care. Um, children are forgiving. I love that. Oh my gosh. What an amazing conversation episode, amazing insights um, and a lot to take away from here. For me, it's um, number one, it starts with us. It starts with our behaviors and modeling the best things we can for our children. Then the next thing is being open and honest at any age and having these deeper conversations throughout their life, not just one time. Um, and just to know, know our facts, like literally take down notes, re-listen to this, do some research, um, get invested in this to know, like to, to, to sort of stack up those beliefs of why 
we are living this healthy, sober, beautiful life and why others should as well. Um, just want to thank you for being here. And I cannot wait to continue this conversation on different topics. Sure. Oh my God. Holy moly. Once a month, we need Dr. Aaron. <laughs> if you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can schedule us in. You to be our co-host. <laughs> I told doing the podcast and they asked me why anyone on earth wants to listen to me <laughs> oh just ask tell them to call me I'll tell them <laughs> oh my god I just again I got so much to Dr. Aaron thank you and to be continued and we will continue this conversation um and anyone listening and needing more help support have questions don't know where to begin whether you are battling addiction or you have a child who is or you want to start this conversation please reach out to us, um, shoot us a message, um, DM us at Two Sober Girls Podcast, and um, we will connect you. If we can't help you, we will connect you with someone who can. Yeah, and I just want to say we do have our mastermind, which is yeah. available. It's running monthly. There are so many amazing women in it, supporting it. each other. Uh, we have a lot of great tools and resources. And then we also have private one-on-one coaching for that support, that lifestyle, that mindset shift that you need. So we have all of the things, um, or just please say hello, right? We love to hear from you all. So thank you everyone for listening and, um, we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.